Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. It's also there in the front of the, the little booklet that you've got. So we're going to open God's Word together. I'll be using the New International Version this morning. Hear now the Word of our Lord and King. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Uh, as I meditated on this text this week, I was thinking about the idea or the, the, the use of metaphors. Metaphors are where we use something that is a little bit more concrete to describe something that maybe is a little bit more uh, ethereal to our way of thinking, that's a little bit more of an idea uh, rather than something that you can touch or feel. And I was looking up, actually, uh, one of the... Uh, one of the most uh, descriptive metaphors that is out there was one by Van Gogh, the painter, and he described and said, conscience is a man's compass. Because if you were trying to describe to someone what a conscience is, we may struggle a little bit, that's kind of an idea, you can't touch it. But we're aware of what a compass is, it points us in directions, it lets us know if we're on the path or if we have actually left off of the path. And that's actually what our compass does. And also, just like, you know, a compass shows us true north and whether we're following or not, but if you had a compass that got messed up somehow and got broken, it would lead you in a wrong direction. And the same thing is true with our conscience. Our conscience is meant to show us the correct path, but if it got warped or seared, it might actually be leading us in the wrong way. So, uh, it's a good metaphor that Van Gogh used there. And I thought of this because... Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, question 70 from our catechism. And that question, uh, which is there in the book, says, what is the church? And we're talking about that question throughout the series. And the answer is the church is the body, bride, and temple of Christ, the community of all true believers for all time. Now notice, as we say that, that there's three metaphors there. The church is the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ, and the church is actually God's temple. And so, we're going to be looking at these three metaphors for the church. There are actually other ones in Scripture. The church is also referred to as God's vineyard or His field. 
Uh, it is sometimes referred to just as a building, not specifically the temple. But these are three very, very common uh, metaphors for the church in the scripture. And we're going to be looking at these and we're going to be trying to unpack these. And we're going to see that in a certain sense, the word metaphor applies. And in another sense, it's a little bit weak because there's a reality to these. The church isn't just like the body of Christ. The church actually is the body of Christ. We're not just like the bride of Christ. We actually are the bride of Christ. And we're not like the temple. We are the temple of God in the earth. So we're going to unpack these over the next few weeks. So today we start with the church as the body of Christ. Now notice Paul brings this up here in this text, and he does this throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You could read the whole chapter this week and meditate on it. It's really worth doing. But Paul is bringing up the idea that the church is the body. And in verses 12 and 13, notice he says the body is a unit. He's referring to the human body. Uh, it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. All of that's referring to the human body. But then Paul says, well, here's where I'm really going. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by, or a better translation there would be, we were all baptized with or in one spirit into one body. He's referring there to the church. So he's using the metaphor of the human body because we all are aware of a human body. We all have one. We can only interact with other people as they have a human body. But Paul says there's a deeper reality that I want to get to. And that reality is the body of Christ. And whenever we have these kind of metaphors in Scripture, it's an invitation to you and to me to think about that and say, well, what do I know about the human body? What might that reveal to me regarding the body of Christ? What might I understand about the body of Christ from the fact that I do understand a human body? And we're going to look at a couple of those today, but I want you to see this is a very important metaphor in the New Testament. It's one that's used a lot. Uh, these aren't in your notes. You can, you can look them up on the internet later. But Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. He uses this metaphor, this language. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 to 23 in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 and then in Ephesians 4 11 to 16 in Ephesians 5 23 to 30 where he mixes the metaphor of the church is the bride of Christ and the church is the body in Colossians chapter 1 verses 18 and 24 in Colossians 2 19 in Colossians 3 15 and then of course here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians the whole chapter is about the church as the body. Now I bring all those up just to let you know this isn't just one or two verses in the New Testament. This is probably the most consistent theme that is taught by the Apostle Paul regarding the nature of the church. And there are two particular things that he brings out of the metaphor that are important for us to understand. The first one is that as the body of Christ, the church expresses the oneness of the Trinity. The church expresses the oneness of the Trinity. So notice in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 in our verse, Paul says the body is a unit. He's saying that, that, that there's, a, there's a unity there. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. 
And then he says, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Paul's point is, look, you don't have two bodies. You have one body. There's one body per person. So it is with the church. There's not many churches, ultimately. There is one church. Just as there is a oneness to the human body, so also with the body of Christ. And so Paul here is using the idea of the body to express the basic unity of the church. And again, he teaches this in many other places in the New Testament. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul is saying that there is a unity in the body. You only have one body. Jesus only has one body. We're going to see the same thing with the bride and with the temple. He doesn't have many. He has one. Another place is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. The Apostle Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We looked at this a couple of months ago, and remember Paul mentions one seven times in the passage. Uh, it's sevenfold unity that's going on there. And all of that passage is to say, look, Ephesians, whatever gifts you've got, whatever differences there are, whatever might be true within your church and between your church and, say, the church at Philippi, there is ultimately one body. There is one church. And so the first thing for us to grasp, because in virtually every passage where Paul's teaching on it, the primary point is unity. The ultimate thing for us to understand is the unity of the church, not the variety of local churches, not how Bay Ridge is different than a church down the road, not the different denominations. The unity of the church is the foundational reality. There is one church. I hope every one of you love Bay Ridge as much as I love Bay Ridge. I love this church. I'm, I'm glad God called me to be part of this church. But that is not at the expense of me bad-mouthing, talking bad, looking down on what other churches are and how they're different than us. We are one church. And this must be a passion for us. It has been for me the whole 26 and a half years that I've been privileged to be a pastor here is gathering and working and praying even with other churches. Uh, I get the privilege of helping lead a pastoral prayer ministry here in our county where we gather pastors together and we pray. There were about a dozen of us uh, the other day on Zoom together doing it. We're from different churches, different ministries, but we are one church. We are united in Christ, and that must always be foundational when we're thinking about the church. But then Paul moves on, and he says, yes, there's one church, but that one church expresses also the diversity of the Trinity. This is, shouldn't be surprising. We've been talking about this recently in our last series. And so notice what Paul says here in the same passage. Though the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though it's 
part, all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized uh, in one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Notice Paul there is bringing up uh, through this variety of terms the fact that there is a diversity within this one body. He says, look, there are many different parts in that body. He says, all of you have been given the Holy Spirit. All of you have drank from the same Holy Spirit. And he's trying to say, but you're still one church. But that does not mean you're all identical with one another. This is our challenge is, we think, well, if there's one church, we all have to be the same. And we want to make everyone like us within our congregation and between various congregations. But Paul says that's not how the body works. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, this is really how he develops this idea. Because the Corinthians were all honing in on one or two gifts. And Paul said that's actually a sign of sickness in your body. The body should be filled with many different gifts. People who are experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit in different ways in their walk, that's what makes the body strong and healthy. Each member is given unique gifts and callings, and all of these serve to the health and the ministry of the one church. And if we think about this, the diversity of members, gifts, and callings um, is necessary for the body of Christ, whether it's a local church or the church universal, to be able to adequately express Christ and to have health and vitality in our walk and in our ministry. That's a, a necessity. So again, a few other places Paul brings us up in Romans chapter 12 again, uh, verses 4 to 6. Just as each of us has one body with many parts, many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And Paul goes on to keep delineating different gifts. But he says, look, God's grace works differently in each one of you, but don't think that that means you're in different bodies, that you somehow are different churches. No, you're not. You're all part of the one same body. That's the way your body works. Your hand doesn't do what your foot does. Your mouth doesn't do what your eyeball does. And if you're going to be healthy, you need all the parts. In fact, that's what Paul brings up later in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, then in verses 17 to 20, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Notice, Paul's going to get a gold star here for redundancy. He keeps bringing the point up because he's saying, we're so prone to either go to uniformity or chaos. Everybody must be exactly like me, or we all just go completely however we want. And Paul says, no, many different parts. The grace of God works distinctly in each one of us. The way we experience the Holy Spirit in our life is distinct, but it doesn't mean we're different bodies. There's one body. 
there's one church. And rather than fighting against each other and the foot trying to make the hand be like a foot, health comes when the foot does what the foot does and it lets the hand do what the hand does. If you've been around the church more than about 30 minutes, you'll understand why Paul has to keep bringing this up. Do we still have this problem today? We want everybody to be like us. And look, it's a natural thing. I love being part of Bay Ridge. I'm very, very excited by what God's doing. But my job when I gather with other members of the church is not to convince them to be like us. Okay? Uh, I'm trying to walk with God. The last thing God needs is more carbon copies of me. There's enough trouble with just me doing what I'm supposed to do. He wants you to be you and me to be me. And he wants our congregation to have this variety, but we're going to have our own distinct strengths. And then we partner with other congregations that have their distinct strengths. And we work together as the one body of Christ because that's what a healthy body is. Paul's point is, it doesn't matter how good my eyes are, if there's no hearing, I can't, I, my eyes don't make up for what my ears aren't doing. My mouth doesn't make up for what my eyeball is, is not doing. My hand doesn't make up for what my foot is not doing. We need all of them to function together. And the same thing is true within a local church and within the church universal. So rather than us trying to force uniformity, let's embrace the diversity that God brings into our local congregation, and then as we partner with other congregations. Uh, this is important for us. Again, if you want to, we kind of meditated on this whole point of unity and diversity in the last series for like seven weeks. That was a big underlying theme, and so you can look at it more uh, there in the, the church as the reflection of the Trinity, the beautiful community. But now I want to shift for a moment, and we've been talking about this as a metaphor, but I want us to see that there is a reality to the church as the body of Christ. It's not just a metaphor, uh, it is something more. Now why do I say that? Notice Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. He's not saying the church is like the body of Christ. He's saying it is the body of Christ. And it is a spiritual reality. And he says, when you came to Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit was poured out on you. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, you are not only united to Jesus Christ, you are united to the church. You are united to all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just a metaphor. The unity that exists within the church, within the members, and between the church and Jesus Christ is as real as your flesh and blood are. It's not just a metaphor. It is a reality. So notice the concrete terms. Paul says you were baptized, again the Greek is a little bit better, in the Spirit or uh, with the Spirit. You can watch after hours this week, I'll explain why that is. But he says the Spirit was poured out on you. You remember that was the promise in Acts chapter 2. 
Repent, be baptized. The gift of the Holy Spirit will be given to everyone. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Whoever you are, when you turn to Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit is given to you. And what happens at that moment is you're not just made alive. You are not just become a child of God. You're not just transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are placed within the church. You are baptized into the church by God himself uh, this is what happens to us in that moment and he uses the metaphor of drinking whatever other Christians you run into here's the reality they have all drank the same Holy Spirit Paul says they don't have a different spirit they don't have less of a spirit this common experience of salvation uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives Paul says that is what makes this a reality He's not just saying, think about the church as if it were a body. He's saying, oh no, when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came upon you in such a way that the body of Christ became a reality. It is real. Now, what that means, of course, then, is we are actually spiritually united with one another as members or parts of the body. It's not just that, well, you and I kind of share the same philosophy of life, and therefore, it's kind of like a political party. We just kind of agree with one another. Paul says, no, this is much deeper than any other thing like that. We actually are members of the same body. Notice again his language down in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 12. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and every one of you is a part of it, or each one of you is a part of it. So there is a real organic connection. If you look around the field right now, you are as truly, really, organically connected to the other people in this field as your hand is part of the same body with your foot. The the reality is as great in the body of Christ as it is in your human body, not just a metaphor there is actual reality and so Paul is telling us this isn't a philosophical or theoretical unity I could go out and join some club and say we all agree on these points that's not the kind of unity that's being pictured here it's the same kind of unity that exists between the various parts of our body and that's why when a fellow believer suffers we must feel the pain And when they rejoice, we should share in the joy. Not, well, I didn't get that. No, I get to rejoice with you. And not that, well, I'm glad I'm not experiencing the pain. This is why we pray so often for the persecuted church. Why we care about what is happening in far-flung places. You and I will probably never meet most of these believers. But it does not matter. How many of you have ever, if your skills at carpentry are as good as mine, and I hold a nail up, what's the most likely thing the hammer's going to hit? My thumb. And when I hit my thumb, the rest of my body does not react at all, does it? I mean, what immediately happens? The other hand drops the hammer, my feet start coming off the ground, I start, why? I only hit the one thumb. Yeah, but the rest of my body knows. And you know what? If the rest of my body doesn't know, 
the next thing I need to do is get to the doctor because something is wrong. That's actually one of the things I was reading the thing about leprosy this last week. That's one of the problems with leprosy is you don't realize you no longer feel pain and therefore the person doesn't realize they're doing damage to the body and that limb is basically falling off. It's no longer going to make it. That's one of the things that leprosy does and we are not to be that way. And so when we came to faith and we were given the Spirit, we were not only joined to Christ, we were joined to one another. Romans 12, 4 and 5, one last time. In Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. When you came to Jesus Christ, you did the same thing I did, which is give up my complete autonomy. I do what I want to do. Now that is the great American ideal, but it's not the ideal of the church. I am part of the body. And my chief concern is what's good for the body, not just what's good for me. And that's because there is a real union. But the next thing is the entire church is also united to Jesus Christ. And this isn't just a metaphor. There is a real unity with Jesus Christ as our head. And we are drawing our life from him. Paul learned this unity. Because I want you to notice that every one of the, the passages I mentioned earlier about the church as the body, they were all written by Paul. This was a unique insight that was given to Paul. Now, I want you to think for a second, how did Paul figure this out? Why did Paul realize the church is the body of Christ? I believe it's the moment of his conversion. On the Damascus Road, you remember? He's going down the Damascus Road, and why is he going to Damascus? What's his plan? persecute and kill Christians. And on the way, you remember, there's a blinding light. He's knocked off the horse and he falls to the ground. This is in Acts chapter 9 verses 4 and 5. And he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my followers? Is that what Jesus said? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? And as if he didn't get the first time, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now Paul had to chew on this and meditate on this and think through this, but he was not told, you are persecuting my followers. He was not told, you are persecuting people I care about. He was told, you are persecuting me, Jesus. When you lay my your hand on my followers, you have laid your hand on me. And Jesus' language here, I believe, because of the way Paul unfolds it in the rest of the New Testament, is not just that I care about my followers. I, I saw a meme on the internet this week, and I actually posted it. It, had, it was pretty funny. It had two pictures of Samuel L. Jackson. And in one of them, he's smiling. And it says, me, when one of my kids says something kind of snarky or bad about me. And the next one of them, it's got one of those looks that only Samuel L. Jackson can give, like your death is imminent. And it says, me, when one of my kids just said something bad about my wife. And I posted it because all of my children would say, amen. That, that was the quickest way to get me upset. 
And there was a reality there that you better be careful how you speak about my wife. That was true for my kids and it was true for everybody else. But Jesus is saying something even greater than that. He's not saying you're persecuting my bride. He's saying you are persecuting me. There was such a union between me and the church that when one of them suffers, I feel it. And Saul, that's what you have been doing. The very moment of his conversion, Paul understands this, and he starts to meditate on it, and it's out of that that Paul develops the doctrine of the body of Christ. And so what this means is the church is united with Jesus as our head. There is one head of the church. It's not me or the rest of the elders. Sorry, it's not the Bishop of Rome or of any other city. It is the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And that means, because to be the head in this picture that Paul is giving means that he is our source of life. We draw our very life from him. In Ephesians chapter 4, one of those passages where Paul uses the metaphor of the body, he says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you know, it's from him. The life is getting its direction. The life, uh, the body is getting its direction. The body is getting its very life from the head. And actually, there's a little bit of a play on words. I wouldn't, you have to be careful in doing this, but when the same word for head, kephale, that Greek word, when it's used regarding a river, it's the source. It's the spring from which a river arises. Okay, It's not normally used that way of people. Head normally means authority. But I think there's a little bit here Paul saying we're drawing our life out of the head. The spring from which we come is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this means the church can only be vital and healthy as it stays connected with the head. Jesus Christ and draws close to him and is drawing its life from him. Show me a church that is not centrally about knowing and loving and savoring Jesus Christ. That church is dying. That church is not going to make it. Okay? It's, you know, I, I wouldn't last very long if you removed my head, right? The rest of my body is done for. The same thing is true here, and you can actually look up in Colossians, Paul speaks and says, someone's lost connection with the head. It's over for them, okay? So that's the things that Paul teaches us. Now, how do we apply this? What does this mean for you and me? And then we'll come to the Lord's table. Again, the, the first question that I would ask us is, is, do I see that the body of Christ is a spiritual reality? Every week we're going to come back to this. These metaphors are more than just metaphors. They are actual reality. The body of Christ, the church of which I am a part, both this local church and the church universal, the church eternal, that is as real as my human body. Now this is important because as long as I think of it as a philosophical thing, it's easy to really downplay the church. Well, you know, I know kind of like it's out there. No, 
it's, it's out there in the same way that my knee is out there to my hand. It is all part of the same body. That is the reality for you and me. When you became a believer, when I became a believer, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us and we were spiritually united with the rest of the church, the body of Christ. And we can no more ignore that and be healthy in our walk than my hand can just say, I'm taking leave of the rest of the body. That's actually death to my hand. And it's death to you and me to try and think that we can somehow exist apart from the church. We can't, not just because it's a doctrine, not even just because it's a command by God, but because it's a reality. It's actually where I was spiritually planted the moment I became a believer. So the church is as essential to my spiritual life as my body is to my physical life. It's as essential to my spiritual life as the body is to my physical life. See, if I get sick with the disease, I can't say, ah, oh, it's just my body. Well, no, if, if my body gets sick, then I'm in big trouble. I, there, I don't have another body. I don't have something else I can go to. The same thing is true for me regarding spiritually with the church. It is not a nice add-on. It is essential to my spiritual life. So the questions to unpack this for me and for you. Do I live as if the church is absolutely essential to my spiritual life? Or as if it's an optional add-on? Do I live as if it's essential to my spiritual life? Or as if it's an optional add-on? Now, here's a reason this is so important. How many of you know the church can be a real pain? Okay? If you're, if, you're not, if you're not wanting to raise your hand and shout amen, you're either lying or you got saved during the singing this morning. Okay? I've been in the church for, for 42 years. We can be a pain. But see, if it's an option, that's an option I just won't take. I, I don't like that part of it. Just leave that out. But see, it's not an option. It's essential it is vital to my health. I am part of the church. So even though the church is a pain, it's a pain that I'm part of. And it's a pain I'm glad to be part of. And it's a pain I'm going to keep pressing into with every breath I have. Because it's essential. And whether I realize it or not, I'm drawing more out of the life of the church than I'm ever putting back in. Every one of us that is true of whether you know it or not it's true another way to ask this question do I view my vital connection with Jesus in union with my connection to the church or do I have it as two separate spheres I've kind of got me and Jesus all week and then you know once a week it's kind of like you know we have a big party out here and we all gather together or do I realize no this is all the same thing it is all the same vital union with Jesus Christ. And I can't split those things apart. I can't think of just my own personal walk with Jesus and then there's kind of the church life separately. The, the, the two are like this. They're beyond our ability to separate. Another way to ask this question, and then I'll move to the last question. 
How would an outside observer judge my union with the church by my external actions? I'm not asking, you know, in my heart, in my mind, this is the way I am. How would they observe my relationship, my union with the church uh, by my actions? Would they see it as vital to my very life? Or would they see it as like an option? Like a club? Okay? What, th this is where the rubber really meets the road. Okay? How, how does it come? Because whatever's going on inside is going to come outside. And if it's not coming out in my words, if it's not coming out in my actions, that's because it must not be going on down in my heart. However I protest, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of what's going on inside a man is where the actions flow forth. So how would an outside observer judge my union with the church? By my words, by my actions. Really important. It's very cool and hip today on the internet to dog the church. It is. And there is plenty to bring up. All you have to do is just, you know, look on the news a little bit. And we've got many, many leaders that to our shame are betraying the church and betraying the gospel in their behavior. There have been big stories in just the last week or two. Okay? I get that. That is disappointing. But that does not negate the fact that we are part of the church. And it is essential to our walk. Now the second part, and this is going to lead us into communion, is am I drawing my life from Christ my head? If the body loses connection with the head, it dies. So this is always what's essential for us as a church. This is why we gather in worship. There's something special about doing this that makes it worthwhile to be out here sweating, having my little green rag, okay, being a little bit hot, it makes it worthwhile because there's something that happens when the church gathers that we draw life out of Jesus that flows into the rest of our day and our week. The same thing is true each and every morning. I wake up, the first thing I do as I stumble down the hall is I spend time in prayer and opening God's Word or whatever I'm doing at that time for my quiet times. This year I'm going through a book of old Puritan prayers called Valley of Vision. So this morning I, I woke up and I, and I prayed one of those prayers to God to say, Jesus, you are my life. You're, you're not an optional add-on. You're as important to me as my head is to the rest of my body. If I don't have you, I don't have life. But again, notice, how is my hand connected to my head? Does it just have a direct connection? It's connected through the rest of the body. How are you connected to your head, Jesus Christ? In, with, and through the rest of the body. The metaphor doesn't work if I suddenly think of every body part attached to the head. That would pretty, be a pretty grotesque human body. It doesn't work that way. The body, the entire body, is connected to the head. The entire body is drawing its life from its head, and every member participates in that life. We very often want to think, this is not a statement, should you and I have personal devotions and quiet times? Yes, absolutely, we should. Very important. Have your own personal walk with Jesus. Does that in any way, shape, or form replace gathering with the church? 
It does not. We participate as the body. So when the church gathers, I want to encourage us to regularly gather, to make this a priority. I'm not even sure why I knew, I guess just the Holy Spirit, but from the day I got saved, I longed to gather with God's people. I was 16. I was still trying to get the cloud of drugs out of my head, but I wanted to gather with God's people. I knew that. I didn't understand all of what was going on, but I knew this is my people. This is my body. This is who I am part of. So that's what God wants us to do. So I want to encourage you each week, ask yourself this question. As I'm coming out here to gather, am I coming with the conscious intention of receiving life from Christ or am I going to a meeting? Because those are two different attitudes as I come in here. Now, you can use the phrase, I'm going to the meeting. But what is my attitude? Is my attitude, I'm going to a meeting? Or is my attitude, I'm going, the body is gathering, and Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit, is going to come. And He is going to give life fresh and new to me. And I'm going to get in my car at the end, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to be different than when I came in here. I'm going to be vital. I'm going to be alive. It's going to be like a person who just finished running a long marathon, and they get that first sip of Gatorade at the end or whatever, and they are like, this is life. This is replenishment to me. Which way do I come to the gathering each week? I encourage you, wake up next Sunday and consciously say, I, man, I am gathering with the body and Jesus Christ our head is going to come and He is going to minister to us. He's going to give life to us. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table today. And there are many aspects to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, all these different terms, the Eucharist. But one of them is communion. Because in this table, we commune with one another but we also commune with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you've never meditated on the Lord's table, for years I didn't understand this sacrament. It was kind of juice and crackers. It was something we did. Just kind of, you know, like I learned the steps to a dance and I just kind of do it. That is not what this is. Jesus Christ wants to meet you and me in this simple ceremony. And I want you to notice that this ongoing sacrament, the only one we have, is food. Because what does food give us? Life and nourishment. If you don't eat, you die. Jesus is making a very clear statement here to us. Life is drawn from Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do with this table. So I encourage you to get your little packet. And again, if you, are, if you were not here last week, or you don't remember, the little uh, packet, there's two compartments. And I had some people tell me last week they still missed it. you got to peel back the little top layer first to get the bread. And then the second one, you get inside. If there, is there anybody who does not have one right now? Raise your hand. If you don't, we'll get it to you. Okay. So go ahead and get the bread ready. I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then I'll pray over the bread and we will take it together. Jesus, you are the head of the church, our ruler, our Lord, our source of life. We were made in your image, and in salvation you are renewing that image in us. 
As your church, we come today praising you for who you are, giving thanks for what you have done, receiving and submitting to your word. And now we come to this table confessing that true life is found only in you. So we ask as we partake of this sacrament in a moment, may it be food to our souls that we may live and serve you. Friends, what I receive from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, this bread reminds us that we do not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our Lord Jesus is the true word of God, and he is true life, giving us salvation and sustaining us day by day. So we take this bread, humbly confessing our sin and declaring that our life is found only in him. Take and eat the bread of life. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. Lord, though you created us in your image and placed all things under our feet, we turned away, breaking your covenant and your will. Yet you have come and worked salvation for us, shedding your precious blood that we might be saved. When we consider this, we exclaim in the words of Psalm 16, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. We thank you for your blood, which has cleansed us from our sin and sealed your covenant with us forever. Friends, take and drink the cup of life. Holy Spirit, when the Lord Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, he poured you out upon the church, uniting the believers gathered there in the upper room with one another and with himself. And so you have been poured out upon each of us so that we have embraced Christ by faith, becoming children and heirs of God. We ask, O oh Holy Spirit, fill us afresh today. Enlighten our minds so that we may understand the word. Stir up the gifts within us so that we might be used to serve others. Form and fashion our desires so that we might reject sin and embrace righteousness. Holy Spirit, I ask that this week you would remind us that Jesus is our very life. That we might seek him each day, drawing life, vitality and strength from his presence 
and looking forward to the time when we gather in worship again. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. So be it. Let's stand together. And we're going to conclude with the word of benediction out of Ephesians chapter 3. This is another practice that I encourage you. It's not just a nice encouraging verse at the end. God promises to bless you and to put his name upon you. And God keeps his promises. So I encourage you now to receive the blessing of God. May God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And if you agree, say, Amen. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.